Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 46. What a great segue, Psalm 46. Psalm 46. In case you didn't know, I'm a Packer fan right now, and they're up 47 to 0, if you didn't know that. I'm just kidding. I have no idea, and I wouldn't know that, although their game started 25 minutes ago. Uh, Psalm 46. Today's our last day in our Songs of the Saints. It's been such a great study for us through the summer and into the beginning of fall as we've been looking at the hymn book, if you would, for the children of Israel. These were the songs that they would sing. And there were songs about truth, about who God was, about what God wanted for them. Uh, certainly, there were, there were you know, moments that they celebrated how God had, had brought victory to them. And then there were those moments where they were looking to victory. And they sang these songs, like we sang songs this morning. And man, what a blessing to have Fuego with us today and our worship team. They're so, uh, such an amazing uh, team to lead us into God's presence, but also to sing truths. You know, I was thinking about the, the one song we sing. Uh, let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run. This morning, the psalmist in Psalm 46 really talks about that very idea of God being a refuge, God being a source of strength, God being a fortress where we can actually be safe from all the chaos that's around us. And so it's Psalm 46. Let's read the first five verses together. It begins this way. God is our strength, or excuse me, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. This morning, we, as we close out our series, really it's the idea of being fearless in a fear-filled world. You think about all the things that happen in our world and the things that cause you and I to have fear uh, in this life. This world is a scary place, right? In a moment, life can be turned upside down. Living is dangerous. Uh, there are everyday tragedies that strike, and you and I see them on the headlines all the time. Do you ever go through the different scenarios that maybe perhaps might um, kind of get you fearful? Like right now um, on the Nextdoor app, if you have a Nextdoor app for your neighborhood, they will tell you like, you know, hey, there's this bake sale or here's this thing going on or if you want solar. A uh, big one that I see all the time is mosquitoes, right? Uh, anyone have mosquito problems in your house, like in your neighborhood? And is it, okay, so the West Nile is like right outside my door apparently. And, uh, and every time we get bit outside, it's like, oh my gosh, you go in there and type on the internet, man, just write your will out right now, right? It's just like, oh my gosh, West Nile, it's on Teague and Shepherd. It bypassed us, thank God. Crazy, this world that we, you and I live in. But what if you and I took what the author says here in Psalm 46 and actually believed that we had a God like he describes, a God that actually has us and has our lives, has everything that you and I would be fearful, he has it all under control. What if we trusted him, believed that nothing could come to us without him being aware of it, also the fact that he's near to us and that he'll use whatever situation you and I face for our benefit? 
What if you and I had that kind of life to truly believe that because you and I belong to him, nothing can harm you and I in light of eternity? To have that kind of a faith, that kind of assurance, even as he declares, therefore, we will not fear. See, the psalm evokes this challenge, a reminder, if you would, for the nation of Israel, but also for us, that because God is with us, we do have nothing to fear. And I wonder the amount of peace that you and I could live with from this point forward if we actually held on to that. That if we knew and we would believe that we were all in with this God who is all in with us and all for us. That's really what this author is saying. He's saying that you and I can live fearless. Why? Well, number, there's two reasons. Number one is this, because God is our help in times of trouble. Listen to what he believes about God. With confidence, he reminds God's people, God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my very present help in times of trouble. When he uses this word here, refuge, it's different than the other words that we'll get to in verse 6 and verse 11, that he is a fortress. The idea of a refuge is this impenetrable defense. It's like this shelter from any kind of danger. And that's why the, the, the song that we are singing, that, that God, you're the mountain that I run to. You're the mountain that is actually my protector, my, uh, my vindicator, that there's nothing that can come to me because I am in you and with you. God is his strength. God is our help. He's not distant in times of trouble. And that's the secret of this confidence that the author has is the awareness of God's nearness, that he's a very present help in times of trouble. He's our strength. He's our refuge. He is our help. I'm reminded of what uh, the author of Hebrews tells us. He says in verse 16 of chapter 4, he says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find his grace to help us when we need it most. So he says God is a refuge. God is a strength. God is our very present help in times of trouble. Then he gets to verse 2. Therefore, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, it's, it's, it's trying to awaken you and I to some truth that had just been spoken. What is that truth? God's a refuge. God's a strength. God is near, and he's a help in times of trouble. Therefore, here's the logical conclusion. What should I fear? Why would I fear anything if God is all these truths and, 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 and tells me that he wants to be that for me, a refuge, a strength, and a very present help in trouble? That's the logic. If God is all this, then we will not fear is what he declares. If God is a real refuge, a real strength, a real help to his people, why fear? There is no logical reason. Again, he, he, he mentions some like pretty gnarly situations, right, coming up in verse 3 and verse 4 and actually through the rest of the chapter. But you fill in the blank right now. You might not fear what he talks about, these cataclysmic events that threaten the, you know, the, the world because the earth is removed, right, and the seas are roaring up. But you might have a fear that this is what I fear. Therefore, I will not fear and then blank, no matter what I'm facing today. I think we all have sort of a sense of, of, uh, of there's just something like around the corner or something that you and I have uh, allowed to, to kind of rob us of peace today because we're so fearful about what might happen later on down the road. 
And it's just not the way a child of God should live. Why? Because God's a refuge. His God is a strength. His God is a very present help in trouble. He says, therefore, we won't fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waves and the foam, uh, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That's the logic. A couple of weeks ago, I actually um, went up to Yosemite with my kids, uh, my three boys, Happened to all be in town the same day, so we took off on a Friday morning. We drove up there. We're, you know, it's been probably about 10 years since we were all together with my three boys, now 25, 22, and, and 19. And uh, we're trying to like think back, okay, what songs were we listening to? And my son Christian then said, like, we were listening to Creed when we were coming through the tunnel. And so we we're trying hard to get, you know, like, um, I, I forget which one. It's like, hello, my friends, we meet again, or something like that. Is it, it was like a, what was it? There we go. I thought he said, The Eye of the Tiger. I'm like, I don't remember a Rocky song, but if that's what, I like that one too. And, you know, we just had so much fun. And the first thing we did, we hiked up at the base of, of, of Bridal Veil, you know what I mean? And, and I realized as we're hiking up with my 25 year old, 22 year old, 19 year old, that I'm still a dad, you know what I mean? Just like, hey man, like, how about you don't climb up that side? And why don't you, like, stop hopping around like you're a freaking gazelle right now? And, and you know, <laughs> And then I'm literally yelling at my oldest son, 25. Like for 25 years, he's heard me say things like, Austin, what are you doing right now? Like, you're eight weeks away from having a baby, or your wife is. Can you please get down? We don't want to raise your baby for you. You know what I mean? Like, stop being dumb with your actions right now. Super athletic, but whatever. And then we get to the top of it, you know, the base where all the water's coming down. And, and we're just up there, and I'm just like staring out, and like going, okay, I'm so scared right now. It's like so high. There's all these wet boulders everywhere. There are signs that say like, hey, like you could die climbing up here. And I remember looking up to the, to the top of the waterfall, you know, and the sun hadn't like made its way over yet. And, uh, and there's this like this boulder like hanging saying, I want to fall on you. You know what I mean? Like that kind of, do you have weird thoughts like that in your head? I'm like, okay, guys, let's wrap it up. Let's get down. Let's go out pizza and head back and listen to some more Creed. In that moment, I actually was like, man, Lord, this is just crazy how, like, in a moment. And I think that we all have those kinds of thoughts that go through our head. Well, what could happen? What are the scenarios that you go through? And what he's telling you and I to do is go, stop going through the scenarios, go through this scenario. Your God who redeemed you and paid for your sins and adopted you into his family, he's your refuge. He's your strength. He's your very near present help in times of trouble. A few nights ago, I also watched, I don't know what is wrong with me right now. I was watching San Andreas with The Rock. I think he got an Academy Award for that one. Man, it's trippy to watch stuff like that. I'm like, I don't think my emergency kit would like be prepared for this. Back in the day, you know, when you think about like the midst of, of like just big catastrophe, you know, that's what the psalmist is saying. Like, let's think about the worst thing that could ever happen. Mountains going into the sea, the earth falling. Remember when they used to say that California was going to, like, break off and fall into the Pacific Ocean? And all of us with these, you know, track homes in California and Fresno would all of a sudden be a beachfront property because, you know, like, all those people in Carmel, there you go, see ya. And here we got this, you know, first of all, how about some wonderful fresh air blowing our way? Beachfront property. What's the worst that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? God is greater than all of these life events that could take place. Worst case, they find your body, they find my body buried under rubble. 
It's just a shell. My soul, my soul is soaring with Jesus in, in heaven. It's almost like he says, let's use some of the things that you get fearful about. What's the worst case scenario? Like, you spend eternity with God where there's no more pain, suffering, sin. God is our refuge. God is our strength. God himself is very near in those moments of difficulty that you and I face. I think we get reminded in a psalm like this that, hey, this life isn't all there is, gang. That there's going to be a day that one day he'll right every wrong. This body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And so it says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's why you and I actually leave this body, but you are never more alive when you actually leave this body. And you get a new body in the presence of God. We spend eternity in his kingdom. All the things that you and I could go through. And then he, he, he says there's this, this little... Sila, at the at the you know in in the book of Psalms, and they always wonder like, what does that mean? Most believe that it means like uh, a change in direction in the song, maybe a different uh, musical you know part, but also this idea of just pausing for a moment, taking a moment and pause, ponder what you were just saying or what you just read, what you just heard. God's a refuge, His strength, very present help in trouble. Therefore, we're not going to fear even in the midst of all these cataclysmic events. Like Isaiah told the children of Israel in, in chapter 43, verse 1 through 3, he says, But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel. The one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you, for I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The, the flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So there's no reason to fear. If God is my refuge, my strength, my very present help, in trouble. In verse 4, he gives this kind of picture of times of peace, right? The waves of the sea are tossing and they're, they're, they're threatening his life and the life of the nation of Israel, what he's writing from that perspective. But he says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. It's a picture of this, this consistent river of provision and peace for the, for the children of, of Israel in Jerusalem, where the very presence of God, it was like this peace, peaceful river, if you would. The habitation of God. When he speaks of the city of God, certainly he's speaking of Jerusalem, the, the, the city where, where God said, this is where my temple will dwell and where the people of God would gather, they would worship him and they would bring sacrifices. But it's also speaking of a, a city one day that, that the book of Hebrews tells us that those who had died in faith, they were, not, they were looking for, to a city, right, whose foundations, right, are, are, are never moved, speaking of one day to be in the presence of God in heaven, like a real physical location. And here he is talking about God's nearness and God's presence is what gives them peace. 
You know, God chose the nation of Israel to be his, not because of their stellar holiness or greatness, but his love, his sovereignty, his mercy. He chose them. He chose that nation to, to be the nation that would bring about a Messiah into the world, that would actually be the savior of the world. We see that God gave Abraham in the book of Genesis these three promises that I'm going to bless you with land. I'm going to bless you with a child one day or through your lineage, a child will be born. And I'm going to bless you with a blessing. Land, seed, and blessing. And one day, that Savior was born 2,000 years ago. But here he's now talking about this chosen place where Israel would meet with God. And he says, he dwells there. Now, currently, God dwells in the heart of every believer. One day, all of us believers will dwell with God in eternity in his kingdom. But the idea is that though the world around is threatening, God provides, God protects, and God blesses because he's there. Because he's in the midst, they won't be moved, and they'll be abundantly provided for. Because of God, the people of God are secure, even in the midst of great upheaval. You know, the, this world will never be our utopia, right? It'll never be ideal. We'll always be dealing with crisis, right? economic crisis, environmental crisis, that, that we, unfortunately, have, have brought onto this world, political crisis. But we're like, we're like them, man. We're looking for a city, the city of God, to one day, Lord, to spend eternity with you. What a great picture that was. It's as if the writer is anticipating that time, that future city of God in the kingdom of God. In fact, we see in Ezekiel, there's a story about in the, in the, in the temple, this new temple that will be built, that, that there's this river that runs from the very temple. In the book of Revelation chapter 22, it speaks of that very same river. In Jerusalem, there is no rivers, there's streams, but here he is speaking, uh, anticipating that one day in God's kingdom, when God sets up his kingdom here on earth, that there will be a literal river that will flow from the throne of God. And Revelation tells us that there are trees that are planted by the side of the river, and its fruit is for the healing of the nations. Almost like at the end times, when we talk about like this world being all wrapped up, God's like, okay, this is done. We're moving on to my kingdom. There's going to be, uh, it's going to be a chaotic time at that end time, and there's going to be renewal that God himself will bring about. So he says, hey, don't fear, because God is a present help in trouble. A second reason why is God's in control when the world's out of control. Notice what else he talks about. He talks about like the earth being totally removed and, and falling into the ocean. And then he says in verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And then God intervenes and speaks in this psalm. In verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In verse 11, the reminder again, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You and I should not fear, number two, is because God's in control when this world is out of control. You turn on the news and the nations are raging. Like when I go to GB3 and I get on that treadmill and I just look at like all the TV stations, I want to go like, hey, George, can you like put on SpongeBob or something more encouraging than what I'm watching right now? 
I look at one channel over here, and it's like, you know, these people are bad. And you look at this channel, and like, these people are bad. It's like Fox and CNN. And uh, there's no political statement, so please don't write me letters. I'm just saying that it's just like, oh my gosh, what a scary world we live in. Does it feel like it's out of control? If you grew up in the 80s, like we used to have to close the curtains at Walters Elementary School because they would talk about like, you know, in case the threat of like, you know, like we had this big beef with uh, Russia when I was growing up. Does anybody else remember that? You're like, okay, if a nuclear bomb goes off, get under this desk. <laughs> I knew this was strong. <laughs> this go, man, Lord, it feels out of control. It felt out of control for the author. The nation's rage. And yet he says, God pays no attention in the midst of worldwide chaos. And you shouldn't fear because God is in control and he's working all things according to his plan. He says you and I should have, in the first section, a consciousness of his presence. In verse 6 through, seven, uh, six through 11, a consciousness of his power. God is in control of all the things that feel like are out of control. In verse 6, it certainly looks like the, the end of the tribulation period when Jesus returns to establish his kingdom as the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. In verse 7, he says, guys, he's the commander, the Lord of hosts, the commander of heaven's armies. He is with us. There's no one greater or above God. So don't fear when it feels like it's out of control in this world or in your own personal life. He also says he's the God of Jacob, referring to that covenant relationship that God had promised to the nation of Israel, but also of grace. You ever read through the Bible and be like, man, it just lets you know like the dirty rats that they are, right? You look at, you know, you read the Bible and you go like, you know, Jacob. Jacob was, became Israel, right? So Abraham, Isaac, and then his son Jacob. This is the, this is the promise, uh, you know, one that God was going to establish the nation of Israel, right? The 12 tribes of, of Israel come from the man Jacob. Jacob's a trickster. He cheats his brother twice. He steals his birthright, and then he steals his blessing. He dresses up like his brother Esau and actually goes into his father Isaac to actually steal his blessing, and, and, and his brother, man, Esau, is just like, dude, when dad dies or takes a nap, you're in trouble, dude. And he took off and he hid. But Jacob was a trickster and he gives us this, he's the God of Jacob. He is with us. Well, he's gracious. God is merciful who wants to become our fortress. You look at Jacob and you go like, man, I can't believe that he would do some of these things. Well, guess what? He would include all of us as well. He's a merciful God who gives you and I the ability to see him as our fortress. This is different than refuge. This refers to this inaccessible height. So when a city would be uh, under siege, they would have these towers that, that nobody could get to, so they were safe there. That's the idea is that God wants to be that, that inaccessible place where the enemy could come and get you. And then he says, come and see the works of the Lord. He's in control. The nations rage, but God's judgment will come. His mighty power will be displayed. One day the cause of so much distress in our world, by the way, will be no more. In the day where God rights every wrong and he establishes his kingdom here on earth, where he will rule with true righteousness in this world. For now, 
Even though it looks bad, evil, godless men seem to prosper, right? Evil seems to triumph over good. But he reminds us, God is in control when the world feels like it's out of control. He's orchestrating the final act when he brings renewal. God will bring true peace when all the enemies of God will be dealt with and destroyed. And even the weapons of war, he mentions these you know, weapons of war that, that they'll be destroyed. There's a prophecy in Isaiah that says that they will turn their plowshares, or excuse me, turn their swords into plowshares. Is there any farmers here today? Nobody's a farmer here today. How come we don't have any farmers at RVC? Like, what's wrong with us? We need food. <laughs> a plowshare, apparently, I can make anything up right now because none of you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> A plowshare, well, it's used for agriculture. There you go. There's your lesson today in ag. But they would say they, they will turn their swords into plowshares. You, you know why? Because peace will reign on earth. And there's going to be a day when those weapons of war will no longer be needed. And they'll actually be used for actually doing, uh, instead of destroying and protecting, they'll be used to actually bring life, giving food to the kingdom of God. Until then... Nations need strong military. The world is evil, and it will continue to be evil until the Lord returns. And the Lord interjects here in verse 10. He says, be still. I always wonder what that meant. Be still, right? Be still and know that I am God. To the nations that are raging, hey, be still. Take this moment to understand that you need to get right. To the child of God, be still. Hey, man, God's in control. He's got this. You don't need to fear. Until then, we have a call to trust in God's saving power. He will, is always in control, even when the chaos of this world is flaring up. And one day, the promise, not only here, but we see throughout Scripture, is that one day, true peace will be reigning here on earth when Jesus Christ establishes his kingdom. You know, the, the angels, they sang, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, right? When Jesus was born, there was anything but peace the time when Jesus was born, and certainly there is no real peace in our world right now. Currently, he reigns with peace in the hearts of men and women who've surrendered to him. But one day there will be a genuine peace here on earth. And the writer is looking towards that day where he will be exalted, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is our God. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our present help in trouble. He is with us and for us, and he is our fortress. This unreachable heights and impenetrable security. Therefore, we will not fear. God helps us in times of trouble, and God is in control. We trust that he's with us. We trust that he's our refuge. We go to him as our refuge. And one day all the troubles and difficulties and threats and the evil of this age will be dealt with when we'll dwell with the Lord forever in his kingdom. So I began saying, hey, this guy gives us some insight how to live fearless in a fear-filled world because we belong to him. Fearless. God himself wants to be your refuge, your strength, your present help in trouble. But your fear might not be the upheaval of this physical world or the nations preparing for World War III. I asked you to think about 
Therefore, I will not fear, though, what's your blank spot? Raising kids in, an, in kind of a chaotic world, right? Maybe it might be fear of your future. God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my present help in trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. It's important for you to take that moment and go, I'm not going to fear even though this is something that I'm facing. It might be your health. It might be the fear of your loved one's safekeeping, the future that is unknown and uncontrollable. Hey, man, the, the writer gives us these pretty gnarly scenarios in that you and I might take the liberty to go insert our own description of upheaval. For some of you, you're walking through the pain of divorce. For some of you, you're facing treatment for a disease. For some of us, we're facing, you fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. My encouragement to you and to each and every one of us is to really grab hold of that understanding of verse 1. God, I know that you say you're my refuge, but God, I want to live like you're my refuge. God, you say that you're my strength. I want to lean on you like you're my strength. God, you say that you're a very present help in trouble. God, I never want to live a day where I'm not conscious of your very near presence and willingness to actually come through and help me in those major moments that I'm facing. Meditate on this truth today. God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is always ready to help in times of trouble. It's Jesus, my friends. He's the source of all these things, refuge, strength, and, and help. But he himself is the refuge and the strength and the help. It's time, and I would encourage you, I, I don't know where you are in your personal journey with God, but if you're anything like me, you get a little, your priorities get a little bit just sort of out, of out of whack, right? I think that in light of eternity, each one of us would say the most important thing that you and I could do is spend time with God, our creator, because, well, we're going to spend time with him for all eternity. And yet, and yet, are, does anyone else feel like, that, like your, your calendar and your schedule gets a little bit, like you have great intentions, right? But it just doesn't, thank you, I see that hand back there. I think we all kind of have those moments, right? Where we go, Lord, I really want to get closer to you. Can I just encourage you? It's time to create space and margin in your life to know this God who is a refuge and a strength and a present help in trouble. I wonder if you and I would actually live with a, a greater level of peace and security in our lives because we, He is a refuge and we're knowing Him and we're learning to be loved by him. Pressing into your walk with God will be the greatest decision that you will ever make heading into this fourth quarter of 2019, making a priority of knowing him. You'll never regret choosing to walk closer with him in this life. I've never met somebody that was saying goodbye to this world and hello to the next that ever said, you know what I regret? What is it? What is it you regret? I regret spending too much time with God. I've never had anyone say that. I've heard other things like, I wish I would have got to know God better. I wish I would have spent more time. You know what I mean? Like, like real important stuff. Nobody's ever said, like, oh, I wish I would have finally caught that Pokemon. 
Therefore, we will not fear. God is with us. Here's some next steps I want to encourage you to take. If you're new today to RVC or if you've been with us every single week in our connection card, we have a little next step for people to take. Your next step, I want to encourage you to make a commitment to meditating and memorizing Psalm 46, verse 1. And let that just sort of marinate in your soul all week long. All the things that you kind of face. All the fears that you have. Just go, Lord, God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my very present help in times of trouble. Can I encourage you to re-up your commitment to walking with God and to knowing Him personally? That takes time. That takes you making effort to say, this is where I'm going to meet with God in my day, and this is the time I'm going to meet with God in my day. You might say, man, you've got, if you've if you got little ones at home, go to uh, Ace Hardware, get a lock, and lock a door and say, mommy needs to meet with Jesus. <laughs> right? And like, kids are like going, amen, sister. Yes, you do. <laughs> and don't come out until you got it right. You know what I mean? A time, a place that you're going to meet with God this week. I, literally, this right here is the most important practical step that I could ever give you as a pastor. Grab a Bible on your way out if you don't own a personal copy of God's Word. Set a time every single day to meet with God. This isn't a, hey, you know, you get a sucker because you met with God seven days. This isn't about that. It's not about checking off a list. This isn't about religious, you know, like, um, legalism. This is about you knowing your creator, and the only way that happens is if you spend time with him. I can't think of more, a more appropriate encouragement from a pastor to a congregation to say, meet with God, know God. Any of you guys struggle with sin? The way to a holier life is through Jesus. We think that the way to Jesus is living a holier life. You want to live a life that's closer to Jesus? It's press into Him. Take this verse. God is my refuge. God, you're my strength. God, you're my very present. You're right now here with me. Therefore, I will not fear. <clears throat> Whatever it is that's causing you fear, because God is with you. Memorize that. Re-up your personal commitment to knowing God. Get some prayer today. If you struggle with fear on a regular, every single week I have friends that are on each side of this room in the back with the twinkle of the lights. And they're there to pray for us and with us. This isn't about like, oh, gee, I wonder what's going on with them, man. They got, must have a really jacked up life. They went to go get prayer. That, that is the most absurd thing I've ever like, heard. Like, go get prayer every single week. Because God wants to uh, meet with you as two people come together and agree. Maybe you've wrestled with some fear this week or this life. Man, go and ask people to pray. And maybe today is the day that you need to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Here we are talking about that God is a refuge and a strength and a very present help in trouble but maybe this morning, you don't have a relationship with him. You're not certain that if you were to give up 
this life today, that you were to die today, that you'll spend eternity with God. For you, maybe Christianity is like, do all these things and God will accept you. That's religion, my friend. Religion is human beings attempt to reach a holy God. It's impossible. The gospel says that none of us were looking for God and that God himself became a man, lived a perfect life in all of our place and ultimately gave his life up on the cross and he exchanged all of your sin, all of my sin for all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's no one perfect, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God. God seeks after us. But there's that moment in your life where you actually Believe that truth that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And you've got to take that step and actually say, today I'm choosing to believe. Today I'm ready to surrender my heart. I want God to be my refuge. I want God to be my strength. I want God to be near me and give me that kind of help in my difficulty and troubles. But it happens when you are all in and you surrender your life to God. Maybe today you're in that spot where you're like, you've been half in, half out. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard a message like this, that God loves you and he does want you to be a part of his kingdom, but it starts with you surrendering your heart to him, confessing your sin to him. How does that happen? Well, it happens that you admit to God that you're a sinner. You tell God, God, I admit to you that I've sinned. I've broken your commands, as all of us have done. You ask God to forgive you and you be, are willing to turn away from your sin. That's what word repentance means. That you're going in this direction, away from God, doing your own life, and you do a 180 and you go in the direction of God. You allow him to take over your life. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you receive him into your heart and your life. You know, becoming a Christian is not merely believing some creed. It's about having the God of this, of this world, the God of creation, the God who made you to come and take up residence in your heart but you've got to open that door today. The book of Revelation says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, Jesus said, I will come in and I will dine with him or her and they with me. It's speaking of relationship. And see, that's what God wants with you, but it starts with you surrendering. And right now, wherever you're sitting, if you want to make that decision, and you can tell God, we'll tell God together what you want him to do in your life this morning. Would you all pray with me? Father, thank you for your love, and thank you for allowing me, God, the privilege to share your word today once again with my friends as we learn that you are our refuge, you are our strength, you are our very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. Lord, let that be our anthem this week. Therefore, we will not fear because you are all that for us. Be that for my friends today. That some or renewing their own commitment to saying, God, I want to walk closely with you. Lord, would you bless that effort, God, as they meet with you? Would you, with your grace, come alongside them, Lord? God, some have been dealing with some sin that have, they've allowed to sort of take over their life. And even now, God, are confessing to you and saying, God, I want to be right with you. I want to be close to you. Lord, I also pray for those who are here. There might be one person here today, God, who needs to commit their hearts to you, God. They need to surrender to you. Lord, you speak to their hearts right now, God, and Lord, show them your awesome love as you went to the cross for their sins and my sins, and God, their desperate need for you. 